Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So, let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that us meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around consciousness, spirituality, psychology, and philosophy, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey dudes, dudettes, non-binaryettes, animalettes, basically if you have ears, welcome, glad you're here to listen to episode four of What's the Fucking Point? I just had an awesome conversation with my friend Annie Diomedes. Annie is a yoga instructor, pianist, piano teacher in Nashville, and she's just an all-around badass because, you know, my goal is to pretty much only bring badasses on the show, and while I think everyone is badass in their own way, I want to bring on people who are really fun to talk about these topics with. And I was originally planning to do a solo episode this week, just chat for 20 minutes about something, but then... I had a change of plans when I went and saw a movie this weekend, and um, Annie saw it, and we said, we need to freaking talk about this. This is important. So we both went to see Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is the new Mr. Rogers documentary. It's out, I'm sure, limited release still, and hopefully will come to wherever you live, Uh, and if not, that you'll be able to access it online when it's distributed, online, DVD, whatever. It was directed by Morgan Neville, who was a journalist dude, then got into film, and has done a lot of documentary work around music and culture. And so far, this film has 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty awesome, and I think very merited. But I also wanted to make sure to say that this conversation will be valuable and interesting, I believe. Whether you have seen the movie or not, whether you remember much about Mr. Rogers, I think um, there's a lot that you might find even more interesting after you watch the film, but I think that you'll get a lot out of it regardless. And then hopefully, like me, you might then feel really inspired to keep digging into the backstory of this person, the show. Um, I'm really just blown away right now. Um, And I do think that this connects a lot to the kinds of topics that I want to be digging into on the show. So without further ado, let's get into it. (laughs) Please make sure you stay with the click. Right. Hey, what's up, Annie? Nothing. What's up with you? Um, just just chilling, just just hanging yeah. out. Yeah, you look really cute in those Lisa Frank headphones. I'm perched upon this couch in my Lisa Frank <laughs> headphones. I love it. Um, I I'm like, we're sitting here today. Yeah. And yesterday I was thinking, oh, I'm well. I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. I was like, I'm gonna do a solo episode this week for the podcast, and. I was all like, oh, maybe I'll talk about depth psychology or maybe I'll talk about, um, I can't even remember if there was some other thing I was going to talk about. And then on Saturday, I went to see Won't You Be My Neighbor. So amazing. <laughs> and I was just like, this is all I want to talk about it was for the rest of time. So amazing. <laughs> and then the next day on Sunday, my husband bought tickets and we went and saw it. Yeah. And I bawled my eyes out the entire time. <laughs> and then immediately when we left the theater, I sent a message to you and I said, seven boxes of Kleenexes was not enough. Yeah, it really wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I'm not exaggerating that 
I really don't think I've ever cried that much in a movie. No. From the first scene. Yeah. He was sitting at the piano. Died. <laughs> I just... He was sitting and he was, you know... I feel like my job is to help kids through their modulations of life. And I was like... Ah, ah. Yeah, you're speaking my language. No, so yeah. Because like I said in the intro, you being a pianist and a music teacher... Right. Um... Yeah, I'm just curious, like, from that angle of it, what really resonated with you or stood out for you? I mean, everything. (laughs) I mean, from from the very first scene, just, like, he was so ahead of his time in, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how to approach children and how to um, reach children and, you know, that children's opinions are valid and that their feelings are valid and, you know, you kind of have to view them as whole complete people and not search to fix them um and trying to like and connecting that with music and like you know your job is to be like their little guide through their modulations of life and as an educator and a steward to children like on my own I was just like this is my responsibility like and I have to help steward them along and move through these modulations. And yeah, some of them are real easy and some of them are really hard. But then just to hear him put that into words that I understood and then to like play it on the piano and like, and I was like, I get it. Yeah. And then once I was so excited that like, you know, I'm following in someone's footsteps, kind of, sort of, like mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers. And then at the same time, so burdened by like, God, this the is heaviness. my responsibility. Yeah. But so empowered at the same time. Right. Like, it's not a responsibility that you're taking lightly by any means. Yeah. No, it's just incredible. It is. It's like, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, and as I've been thinking about it since Saturday, it's like, I vacillate between having lots of words and like, oh my God, and this, and this, and then like, just no words and just like, kind of jaw dropped open in silence. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think I vacillate between those two points, too, because, you know, it's all these things came up and, like, you know, children are so important and, like, how forward thinking of him to think that, like, I can present this in a way, you know, these heavy topics that they need to know about, but in a friendly way that they understand, not necessarily by dumbing it down, but just kind of changing the perspective. And then also sitting between that and then well, maybe I just need to shut up and let this kid tell me what they need to tell me because what they have to say is important and maybe I don't need to open my mouth all the time. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so um, here's a little clip from a Charlie Rose interview. I think it's from the mid-90s. He was, like, promoting a book he had just written. Mm -hmm. And um, so let's listen to that. Who's made a difference in your life? Oh, a lot of people. A lot of people who have allowed me to have some silence. And I don't think we give that gift very much anymore. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, it, in our business, yours and mine, how do we encourage reflection? Yeah, so that just just really struck me. First of all, because I'm obsessed with the concept of wonder, just overall, and sidebar went to two um, wonderful events with Amber Ray, who 
is an author who wrote a book called Choose Wonder Over Worry, did that this weekend. The second one was right after I saw this movie and I was just like in that totally raw emotional place. But um, yeah, that concept that he said of we're more interested in information than we are in wonder. I was just like, whoa. So impactful. Yeah. Because we are. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many times, especially as children, I mean, we stick screens in front of their faces or, you know, we, you know, all of, you know, there are only so many right ways to do things or you have to come up with the exact right answer. And we take away that like element of wonder and And mystery and uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. we, We don't like ambiguity, which so we get into these rigid, you know, it's where a lot of the the stuff around like religion itself isn't bad, but the ways that we fuck it up, as my guest last, last week was talking about. Yeah. yeah. All the like confinement that we place around it and our mm-hmm. in our quest to like constantly define things, all we do is box ourselves in. Yep. And we close out any sort of like wonder or creativity that I mean, go hang out with kids for like an hour <laughs> and like just let them tell you things and let them like set up their own like adventure land and then tell you all the rules to this like mystical kingdom that they've created and you'll be like where did that go right it's all confined with like rules and books and you have to do this right you can't do that yeah all the ways that we just get kind of what is the there's some quote that's like it's the the protruding nail that gets hammered mm-hmm. you know so there so we are from a very young age shaped and and taught there are consequences for not fitting in and there right. those consequences at the time are very real like we can't you know when these kids are feeling devastated or even suicidal over not feeling like they fit in right. that is nothing to trivialize because right. at that stage of your life and frankly through any stage of life, not belonging, I feel like is one of the deepest pains that we can feel. And so this message of you belong no matter what, right. just because, and you're inherently worthy and, and important. Right. Like that was something that so many kids don't hear from any other place. Right. Well, and I think like coming back to like the information versus wonder allowing yourself to think a little more freely outside the lines i feel like opens your mind up to accepting those people that don't necessarily fit within your box you know and being open to new possibilities and being open to new and different people and like why can't we just open our minds a little and accept everyone and not try to like well, you belong in this box right and you belong in that box mm-hmm. and i'm just going to stay in my box over here and you know yeah. Things like that. Exactly. Yeah, kids kids will just walk up to anyone. I mean and and you know, shy kids are cool too. Yeah. Kids who are afraid of strangers, you're cool too. I yeah. think I was that way for part of my childhood. And then my brother, who funny enough is like now much more introverted and shy than I am, um, as a kid would just, you know, walk up to strangers in the grocery store and be like, What's your favorite cereal? Right. Like, That's so cool. So cool. I went <laughs> so yesterday I went and saw won't you be my neighbor? And then I had friends that got married in this adorable little ceremony in Sevier Park. And it was like all of their family. And I was one of the only friends who was there. And then I had another friend that showed up with her kid who's nine maybe. And he just inserted himself into all of the pictures. Like we were kind of hanging back because we don't want to step on like the family's toes. And like we look up and there he is like right in the middle of the picture. And I'm like, what? You don't care at all. Like, you just, I want to be in the picture. I'm going to put myself in the picture. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that's fantastic. And I'm like, I hope you never lose that. Yeah. Like, 
I hope you never lose your sense of wonder. Yes, Leanne Womack. <laughs> um, that's hilarious because I too was at a wedding yesterday and a small child just who I'd never seen before in my life just walked up to me and was like, what's going on over there? Yeah. And I was just like, hey, little dude. Hey, how are you? <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too because I don't, one of the differences between us is like I feel like we share a lot of the same sort of philosophy but you spend a lot of time around kids I really don't so much time with children yeah intentionally yeah and one of the reasons why is because I feel like that brings me back to that like sense of creativity and sense of wonder because you never know what a kid's gonna do and you can try to create um to back up I teach piano lessons to kids and then I also do kids yoga so, and people all the time are like, kids yoga, that must be great. And I'm like, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, it's like one of the most wonderful things on the earth. But, you know, sometimes, like, children are mischievous. They have their own agenda. And that's fine. But I think to be truly successful in working with children, you have to be willing to totally toss your plan out the window and yep. just fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah. And, like, be willing to step into whatever crazy idea the kids have and just go along for the ride which is magical yeah and, and yet I'm think <laughs> I'm hearing that like voice in the back of my mind which maybe I'm anticipating some parents listening and being like or or you know classroom teachers yes being like well you can't just let them do whatever they want nothing no. will ever get done loose guidelines <laughs> yeah you know you set the guardrails you set the guardrails yeah but they're very far apart no one's going over a cliff, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, you let them explore. And I have a loose idea of things that I want to accomplish. And I am have gotten better over the years at, like, reining kids back in. And it's all a balance between letting them go and then calling them back. That's awesome. Letting them go and calling them back. Mm-hmm. Letting them run and explore. Maybe shifting your plan a little bit to incorporate their ideas. And then bringing them all back together. Yeah. It's funny because as you're describing that, I'm like, huh, the inside of my head is like a kindergarten class. <laughs> let my thoughts go, let them run, and then bring them back. Right. Let them go, bring them back. Well, and I think about the structure of, like, the yoga classes. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, you let them run, and then you bring them back. True. You move your body around, and then you bring them back and settle. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's kind of like this ebb and flow of letting things go free, and then always knowing that, like, you've got to you got to rein it back in a little bit. Yeah. Maybe not back to the exact same place that you started, but back enough to where you can kind of settle and reassess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love that so much about especially where we, we teach together yeah. at Interlight Yoga. <laughs> Holla. Um, Shameless plug. And that is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that is one of my favorite things about that style. And, it, I mean, yeah, it's something that can be incorporated in a lot of styles of yoga, but I feel like that's something that um, – that we do that in a really special way. Yeah. For sure. Well, and the other thing that I think is really awesome and special about that specific style of yoga, that specific place that we teach at, is that it also allows for us to sit in silence. Mm-hmm. How many times are we in a class and we're not talking and we're just letting people be with their bodies and with their minds and with their breath? Like, And that's, like Mr. Rogers said, not something that we're all together interested in anymore. Right. We just, it's so much stimulus from, stimuli, stimulus, stimuluses, I don't know, (laughs) from all different angles. I teach things. I don't, not English, (laughs) from all different angles and like being forced to kind of shut that all down 
And then seeing, well, what keeps playing in my mind? Like, if someone's not talking to me, what am I filling in? And do I need to pay attention to it? Or do I need to acknowledge it and let it go? Yeah. Yeah. So feelings. Yes. One of the big things. Not only are millions of feelings that we had (laughs) in processing this film, but... um, like we were talking a little before we started recording about how he was one of the other ways he was ahead of his time was with sort of the emotional literacy. Yes. Of, of just like humans in general. I mean, yeah, he was talking about kids and how their feelings are really valid. But um, but I feel like most adults now, let alone then, lack that level of emotional literacy and often have to learn it later in life in some very painful ways. Right. So I wanted to play a little clip for, um, of a song where he talks about feelings. You know, everyone has lots of ways of feeling. And all those ways of feeling are fine. It's what we do with our feelings that matter in this life. I trust that you're growing in ways that will help you with whatever feelings you may have when you're a child and when you're a grown-up. I hope you're able to grow to respect whoever you are inside. Mike, drop. Also, (laughs) he's playing the piano stuff in the background. I mean... And it's, I mean, you know this more than me, but it is it is a dance with his words. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yes. Um, and I mean, he said it right there. Right. Yeah, that the feelings themselves are fine and welcome. And yeah. man, if I could tell you I, how many times I've heard the exact opposite, right? Oh, yeah. Of like, oh, well, you know, I guess in my, feeli- in my family, really, it was, we were just supposed to feel the good emotions the happy emotions and and while this movie is not necessarily like a true biopic like we don't get all of like the gritty details of like his upbringing and his parents and all that they they sort of allude to some of that and it's clear that not surprisingly someone of his generation that there was a lot of emotional constipation in his household i mean they said um I think his wife said maybe that he was expected to be happy all the time or not supposed to feel like the angry feelings. And they, um, and he said that one of the ways that he worked through that was through music and through the piano. Yeah. And, you know, I can't be angry in person with my words, but I can play the piano and I can show you that I'm angry. Right. Or I can play the piano and I can show you that I'm sad, um, which I'm, I might cry right now. Um, it's okay. just... <laughs> feelings we have them um and that's one of the beautiful things about music in general is that it's a way to help process and movement too moving through your feelings isn't i can move and show you that i'm angry in a way that's not harmful to myself or others but you know i can move in a way and show you that i'm sad um and yeah all all feelings are valid and they're all okay and it's how we choose to work through them right so that's like really one of the core messages that kept showing up again and again and again in the show and in the way that they kind of depicted the show in this film. And that just, you know, obviously both of us in the work that we do, it's just like 
at a personal level and at a professional level. It's just like, oh my God, this is so, so important. And we need to hear this all the time. And of course, there feels like a lot of reasons why we need this now more than ever in this kind of state of divisiveness. Um, but I, I also wanted to play a little clip of related to that, the Senate Commerce Committee hearing. Yes, right? Senator Pastore. Y- yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was from 1969. Yes. Um, Nixon was trying to ch- chop the budget. And right. So PBS losing all the funding. Right. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah, and by the time they got to Mr. Rogers, Senator Pastore had said, I don't want anyone to read anything anymore. Yeah. I don't want to hear you read from a piece of paper. He had pretty much made up his mind. Right. He which was makes over it. Which makes what Mr. Rogers says even more impactful. Yes. So let's listen to that. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you. And I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. You narrate it? I'm the host, yes. And I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Looks like you just earned the $20 million. Yeah. So he got the 20 million. Yeah. (laughs) By saying that our feelings are valid and that we should recognize them. Yes, that they are mentionable and manageable. Right. 
I have goosebumps now. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. And and I think that one thing that I really um, I feel like is important to point out because there are a lot of like the mindfulness based therapies nowadays where it's like, mm, so we can't necessarily control our feelings and we can't turn them on and off like a faucet. But again, he what he's focusing on when he says the word control is that what we do with it, right? That that a child who is powerless in so many ways in her life and doesn't get to make a lot of choices about her environment or the people she's around, that she gets to feel what she feels, but she also gets to choose then what to do with it. In a sense, right. I get that, yes, there are, there are going to be environments where um, kids feel pretty tamped down with yeah. that. But just the way that... Um, so he said, there's there's no should or should not when it comes to having feelings. They're part of who we are. Their origins are beyond our control. So yeah. there's the distinction. When we can believe that, we may find it easier to make constructive choices about what to do with those feelings. Right. Not trying to control them, but how can we work through them? How mm-hmm. can we work through them in a constructive way? So, for example, teaching third grade yoga, I've seen a million different ways that kids process things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, part of my role as a yoga teacher for children is giving them different tips and tools of how to work through their feelings in a constructive way, um, in a non-harmful way to Mm -hmm. themselves or others. And to just see, I've gotten really good over the past year at noticing and identifying um, situations that will escalate or potentially escalate and making that like, um, making that designation and then talking to the kid right then and there and saying I feel like we need to do something um and just it can be as simple as handing them a piece of paper and a pencil and saying please write down how you feel right now Mm -hmm. um because some of the kids don't want to talk to me because I was I mean it was my first year teaching like in a classroom situation to children who um come from various backgrounds that aren't the most trusting of adults or have abandonment issues. And so new person coming in, they're not, they're not cool with. Um, But nine times out of 10, they will write down how they're feeling before they'll talk to me. Or I had one um, student who I would see him begin to escalate and he would get very violent towards others or himself if it got too far. And I would notice the situation and I would say, Hey, we're going to go for a walk. Mm. And he was like, I don't want to be in trouble. And I was like, you're not in trouble. We're just, I notice a situation and you notice that this situation is not a good spot for you. So we're going to remove ourselves from this situation and we're going to use our resources and we're going to walk and we're going to calm ourselves down. Yes. And he's like, resources? These aren't resources. And I'm like, we're walking. (laughs) We're going somewhere else. We've removed ourselves from the situation. These are resources. Yeah. What are resources? And I'm like, you don't have they're tools don't worry about it it's a big it's a big word it's a big fancy word right to describe something that's innate within you that you can cultivate right that and the stuff outside of you that you can go to right that i'm just trying to show you that what is happening is not wrong it's just you we need to find a way for you to work through it. And you staying in the same situation with whatever is irritating you is not helpful to you or the rest of the class. And if that means that you have to raise your hand every time something bothers you and say, can I go walk and get a drink of water? Like, that's what you need to do. 
Yes. <laughs> as and then des- it's okay. Yeah. As you're describing that, I'm just like feeling so grateful that that there are opportunities for kids in our community and many communities to have these kinds of experiences. To, oh, yeah. That, that because, you know, there's more funding for research and that the evidence is there to show these things work. And not only can this help them to learn self-regulation, especially the kids who are not coming from environments at home where they were able to really learn that in a safe way. Right. But also it's restorative practice. Yeah. Like that's, I was a month or two ago at the church, just a block that way. And at this um, community meeting for breaking the school to prison pipeline. And that's the Nashville Organized for Action and Hope. That's what they've been working so hard to do. One of the things they've been working to do is to work with the administration in the school district to say, you know, I know that we've been doing some things better, but we, we've got to try harder. If there's still these extreme racial disparities and the kids that are getting expelled and suspended and that's putting them right on that prison pipeline, we need to figure out what's going on and we need to be able to integrate restorative practices, which is pulling a kid aside and taking him for a walk. And yeah. I, you know, and I get that, yes, there's not every time a kid's acting up in class and a teacher's got 30 kids in their room or whatever it is, right. that, that has to be flexible. And, and part of that, part of what the ask was, was asking for a lot more social emotional learning resources so yeah. that those kids can have that when the teachers are trying to run the classroom. Yeah. And we, I, I was very fortunate in the school that I worked at, which was a, a KIPP school, KIPP Kirkpatrick over in East Nashville. Um, all of their classrooms have like mindfulness time factored into their schedule. Yoga was like a part of their weekly schedule. Everyone went to yoga at least once a week. Sometimes they went twice a week. And the kids know that they have resources that they can use. Every classroom had a quiet space that a kid could ask to go to that was just kind of like closed off so that they could separate themselves from the group. Um, my classroom had tools that the kids could use. So like if they needed like a stress ball to squeeze, they could play with that. Or if they needed like um, putty or Play-Doh to, so you could have that like tactile um, sensation, they could go do that. Um, and I think just making those resources available and letting children know that there are different ways to work through. One kid had a Rubik's cube that he just really liked to play with. Like if he was just really feeling frustrated and I would just hand him the Rubik's cube and he was fine. Or those little like glitter wands and they would just sit and watch and like breathe with the glitter wand and that would calm them down. And I mean, you can see it. It's like a light switch flipping as soon as like they get themselves back together and then they're able to come back to class. Yeah. And it's less, you know, um, it's less disruptive because you're not having to, like, call in people from outside to take the kid away. I mean, sometimes things, you know, happen and you can't stop them with the tools that you have. Not Mm -hmm. stop them. You can't let them work through their feelings in the way that they have. But, yeah, and I think just Nashville's trying. Like, it's there. Mm -hmm. I can see it happening, like, trying to bring it into the schools with the mindfulness moments, with the learning tools. Small World Yoga is trying to get yoga into as many schools in the metro Nashville district as possible there's a team of people and they get the metro school teachers together and they give them like a 15 minute like practice to work through and different tips and trips that they can take back into their classrooms so it's happening mm-hmm. which is exciting yeah. it just needs to 
needs to go faster. Right, exactly, <laughs> and get to other types of communities right. that don't have maybe the level of resources or awareness right. yet. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the work, is right. how do we make it accessible for everyone mm-hmm. and put it in place for everyone. Yeah. So the other thing that he mentioned in that clip from the Senate Commerce Committee hearing toward the beginning was that expression of care and letting each kid know basically that that they matter, right? And that, that I feel like, so there's the feelings component and then there's this inherent worthiness, right? And unconditional worthiness, which again is something that so many kids are missing and it may come from a place of good intention of a parent um, or a teacher, whoever, wanting to set a kid on a path to succeed and to, you know, live into their full potential. And that's great. There's room for encouragement. There's room for, no, you wanted to play the piano or the violin and this is your commitment to your practice. This right. Is, you want, need to do, you, you know, I know you'd rather play your video game right now. Like there's room for that. But for a kid to feel like they are inherently worthy just for who they are. Like that's incredible. And I would love to hear your reaction to how they sort of tied in the criticism of Mr. Rogers and of this message of inherent worthiness of like, this is what's bred this generation of narcissists, like entitled narcissist millennials. Like what the fuck? I was very angry. Um, one, how are you going to criticize Mr. Rogers for anything that he does? I don't, I was just, I mean, I know that the criticisms are there and I know that's what the criticism is. And I mean, like, I can, I can't count how many times, you know, something will happen and my husband will be like, that's what happens when everyone gets participation trophies. (laughs) Um, and that's not what he was saying. Like, I think you have to separate it out. Like, you know, he's not saying like you said like there's room to for like the praise and the pushing and like you know um the reinforcement but what he was trying to say is that you start from this place of good like it's not like you have to work your way up to like i'm worth something like you're there already no questions asked and then what you do beyond that just builds upon it like you're putting toppings on your ice cream sundae when you do things. You know, like you're laying on the sprinkles and the whipped cream and the cherries on top. But like you're never not ice cream <laughs> or whatever tasty treat you like. It's I can n- appreciate a good ice cream <laughs> metaphor. I'm with you. It's never like the ice cream goes away and you're just an empty bowl. Like there is always something in your bowl. Right. And you start from that place of like wholeness. Yeah. And then you just build upon it. Yeah, because as Brene Brown says, like there's nothing wrong with healthy striving. Right. It's when it becomes this all or nothing uh, hustle for worthiness and that if I don't do this thing or if I don't succeed at the level that I think that I should, then I'm, you know, basically a fuck up. And Right. Right. And it's just then we lose our sense of self-compassion, self-kindness at the moments that we actually need it the right. most. I mean, like, and that, with the rise in, you know, suicide rates 
um, unfortunately, these days. And I think that's what it stems from is, you know, and all the pressure and stress, you know, like I have to take all of these honor classes and I have to do all the extracurriculars and I have to do this and I have to do that. And, so competitive. Right. And that's the only way that I'm going to get into a good school. And if I don't get into a good school, then I don't get a good job. And if I don't get a good job, you know, my parents are going to disown me or whatever it is. And I mean, I see, I see these kids overscheduled to the max with no time to do what they want to do. I had a piano student that was a high schooler that had like, she was on two different honor tracks and she was taking so many classes, we couldn't do piano lessons anymore. And I said, when do you get to do something just for you? Mm. And she was like, I don't. And I said, that's a problem. Right, you're like, what, 17? Yeah, (laughs) that's a problem. Like, she couldn't even participate in, you know, like, the orchestra that was giving her, like, joy in her life. And I'm like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I dropped A&P the first week I was in it so that I could take another music class. Mm Because I don't like science. I do like science. But I didn't want to memorize all the bones and muscles of the body. Like, I wanted to go sing in choir. Right. I was two choirs. Two choirs and jazz band. Yeah. My guidance counselor fought with me. She she sat me down in, in her office and said, Annie, if you don't take this other science class, I mean, that's not going to set you up on the right track to go to college. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to go to school for science. I love it. I don't. And then I said, come to one of our choir concerts and you will understand why I want to do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, I'll be damned if she didn't go right to my next choir concert and never said a word to me ever again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're scheduling kids to the point of burning out at like 16 years old something is very wrong it's awful yeah because what are you doing you're you're pushing yourself to study so much for a school that you think you want to go to and then you're going to get yourself in this like good school in a major that you don't know if you like but it's what your parents told you you should like And then halfway through school, you're going to be like, I don't want to do this. But you're going to be so far along that you don't want to change your major because then your parents are going to be mad at you because you're going to be there longer than four years. And that's not acceptable. Right. And then you end up with a degree and a job that you hate. (laughs) And then you just have to, you know, reconsider everything. And And you're like 23. You're like, wow, what did I just spend the last five years doing? Yeah, what did I do? I did that yeah. in the music world. I mean, I did that. I mean, because, I mean, as adolescents, what do we know? Right. We don't know shit. We don't know anything. <laughs> I thought I wanted to work in a recording studio. I went to a school with a wonderful recording program. I got into the recording studio. I got yelled at, like, once because I did something wrong. And I said, fuck this. I don't want people yelling at me. Mm-mm. Like, if you would have told me at 22 that I was going to teach children, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I thought that was a terrible thing. I was like, I don't want to teach anyone. Yeah. And I mean, it just turns out that that's what I'm good at. Hmm. Well, and that what there's a name for whatever that diagram is. That's like the intersection of what you're good at, what you love, and yes. what essentially like what the what people will pay you to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking too with this whole just like overscheduling and pushing towards some external measure of success. There's. Um, a quote, I don't know if it was original to this book, but I remember it from the book Perfect Girls, Starving Daughters by Courtney Martin. And um, it was something like, like talking about sort of this next wave of feminism. Mm -hmm. And it said, our mothers told us that we could be anything and we heard we had to be everything. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. 
Because it's like, oh, wonderful. There's all these opportunities. Now I have to do all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, of course, all the pressure between Yeah, like, I have to get good grades. And- I have to be, you know, killing it as a boss babe. And then I have to have all the babies. And I have to cook everything. And I have to look really hot house. while I'm doing it. And I have to, like, Instagram it all. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I want to play, speaking of this idea of worthiness and being the ice cream. Always being the ice always cream. Always being the ice cream. You are never not ice <laughs> ice cream. You are never an empty bowl. Um, I want to play a little clip of It's You I Like. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your towels, they're just beside you. Okay, so if if we're still confused about what he means, that he does not mean that we're all just, I mean, I don't know, I'm like, we are fucking precious, god damn it. We are. Like... It's really okay. That does not make us entitled. No. Whatever. Okay, so, but I love, love, love this quote that I found. Um, He said, when I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate peace that rises triumphant over war, and justice that proves more powerful than greed. Yes. Yeah. Like, try and argue with that. You can't. (laughs) You can't. And I think, I mean, he says it over and over again in the documentary, but it's just that you come from everything with love. Mm -hmm. And if you come from everything with love, of course everyone is inherently valuable because you automatically love them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that, you know, just because I love you means that you get whatever the fuck you want. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it means that, like, I have love for you in my heart, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. There's always, like, deep down inside of me, like, you know, in the yoga world, namaste, right? Yes. The light in me sees that light in you and knows that some part of us is the same. Mm-hmm. And that's what he means. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Not, not that we can have whatever we want because we're right awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also the fact that, for better or worse, we're having to counterbalance this sort of like. I don't think that the unworthiness that we feel or the not good enoughness, like. I kind of struggle with it because on one hand, I'm like, that shit does not get created in a vacuum. No. Right? Like, you're, we're getting these messages, whether implicit or explicit. Yes. From our culture, possibly from our family, from our peers, whatever. Right. So it's not that, you know, I talk about worthiness and that it's, it's we all have it, it's our lack of being able to perceive it. But even that's probably not our fault because it comes from somewhere. Right. Right. Um, and, and yet, I think there is a piece of it that's in kind of innate in in the whole negativity bias and evolutionary you know like getting kicked out of the tribe was a big fucking deal yeah so anything that could potentially have that outcome i want to squash right so i think there is this thing that we are all having to work against 
um, this kind of core sense of not enoughness. Yeah. I mean, I've never met a single person on the planet, even if they had the most, like, the closest thing to, like, a stable, loving, etc., family and childhood, who hasn't battled with that sense of not enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's our, like, innate, like, tribeness. You know, like, we want to belong. Like, that herd mentality. We want to find people that we cling to, that we fit in a box with. And if you don't, then, like, I mean, like you said, it's a big deal. Right. What's wrong with me? So let's hear Daniel Tiger sing a little bit about that. No! Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not like anyone else I know. When I'm asleep or even awake, sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake. I'm not like anyone else. Yes. Yeah. Exhale. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all fucking know exactly what that feels like. Yes. And that was just a tiny short little clip. Like, you know, if you go see the movie, you'll see this whole beautiful the sequence. Whole song. Mm-hmm. Daniel Tiger sings this song questioning, you know, am I a mistake? Why do I feel like I'm wrong? What's wrong? And then you see this like child psychiatrist who comes in and says, yes, finally someone is acknowledging these feelings on TV. And then what happens is his friend sinks back to him and says, I like you just the way you are and there's nothing wrong with you and you're amazing. And they cut back to the psychiatrist and she was like, awesome. So now we're validating Daniel Tiger's feelings and we're totally expecting Daniel Tiger to be like, cool, I'm all better now. And what do they do? No, they sing together. Because it's not like you can just point at someone and say, you're awesome, and that's going to fix everything that's going through your mind. Yeah. But you have this, like, beautiful duet of, like, the people that hold you up with all of your doubts and, you know, everything that's going on inside your brain, and they all just kind of mix together. I'm doing really crazy hand symbols (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah, but that it's, there's not an expectation that, well, I told you that you were fine, so why do you still feel, why are you still doubting yourself? Like, get over it. Right. Yeah, and that's what I always say, like, for myself, but for my clients, too, is, like, this is not about, like, eradicating your inner critic. Like, sorry, that that voice is going to stay with you. Right. But we got to add to it. Right. We got to add something in addition to that. Right. And that's where those, you know, that's where your tribe comes in. Yeah. And, like, those people that lift you up and that hold you up and that sing that beautiful duet to you and just say, you know, I like you just the way that you are and there's nothing wrong with you and I validate your feelings and I see them and I accept them. And I still love you. Yeah. Yeah, because this whole idea of, oh, well, you know, you can't just be seeking that external validation. Like, okay, yeah, you learning how to give some of that to yourself is really good. But that doesn't mean that the self-doubt goes away right. or the not enoughness feeling never comes back. Right. And, and getting some of that from your people is an imperative. I mean, how good does it feel when someone comes in and says, hey, man, you're awesome. I really like you. I like spending time with you. I like what you're all about. Like, yes. who's going to say no to that? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some of that. I want some sprinkles on my ice cream. Oh, right. Who doesn't want extra <laughs> toppings on their Sunday? <sighs> well, whipped cream, yes. maraschino cherries on top. Yeah. Some nuts. We all got them. <laughs> we all have those friends. It's fine. Uh, um, yeah, and I don't know, like, it was funny. One of the son, one of his sons, who was interviewed for the documentary, made some comment about like it's kind of hard when your dad's like the second coming <laughs> of Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, 
but it's so on one hand i guess there's like several comments i want to make about this but like for one pretty awesome that here's this like ordained minister who is not hiding his Christianity. No. But is not trying to... Like, that's not the focus of the show. No. The focus of the show is the message of love. Right. And also, and, love and, let's deal with this really hard shit. Because this is life and you're being faced with it. Yes. So death, divorce, you know, all of these things that he's covering. A week. A week on death. Yes. He did a whole week on death. (gasps) For small children. A whole week on divorce. Yeah. Not dumbed down, but like... You know, here's these things that are happening, yeah. and how do we work through them? Right. Where are you going to find that on TV today? Nowhere. Yeah. Only the sensationalized things trying to like manipulate our emotions and. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. So, so yes, there was the message of love over any kind of like trying to proselytize or evangelize, <clears throat> specifically for Christianity. The other thing that I, I wanted to touch on with this whole like second coming is like. Yeah, there's, you could say that this is like an, this movie sort of puts him on a pedestal, but I also just wanted to like point out that while it's probably true that there were no, like there's just no scandal, right? Like there's, just don't look for the scandal. Don't try to get the ratings by finding the scandal. Like he's not a perfect in person because he's human because there's no big scandal yeah but that also doesn't mean that he's like completely flawless like they do talk a little bit about how the rigidity showed up like around sort of the obsessive focus on like oh my weight is this number yeah i don't i don't i'm not going so far as to say that that's like oh that's like eating disordered but like you know they're just pointing to these little examples of you know ways in which he could be yeah overly willful and rigid. Yes. I really liked where they were talking about um, how, you know, well, is Mr. Rogers, like, Mr. Rogers all the time? And they were yes. like, when we're sitting at the dinner table, if he has something that he wants to say that's out of character, it's in Lady Elaine's voice. And I was like, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> like, how funny would that be if we all just, like, <laughs> now yeah. I'm this person and I'm mad Annie, or now I'm this person and I'm... <laughs> right. Like, like my mad needs to be able to say some things right now. Right. And I'm still me. Right. Like, I still hold my values and my love and compassion for you, but, like, I need to just be a little salty right well, now. Well, and that's just how he processed it. Yeah. I mean, like, they were saying in the show, you know, Lady Elaine was this mad, angry person, you know, and he started off and he was, you know, Daniel Tiger was him. And that sort of was, inner like, child. His, his inner child. And then they were talking about how towards the end of the show, he was less Daniel Tiger and more King Friday. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just how... Another aspect of how this person worked through that all that internal stuff and how can I how can I bring it out to where people are gonna understand it. Right. Yeah. And I haven't talked much about this on the podcast yet, but I'm sure that as as we continue I'll get a lot into just like I freaking love parts work and internal family systems and like there's these entire frameworks based around this idea that our psyche is sort of like not not multiple personalities. I mean, because d- dissociative identity disorder, disorder is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most of us, it's just like, yeah, we have these sort of different aspects of ourself. And as I always like to say, like, you're not the age that you are now. That just describes the number of years you've been on the planet. You're every age you've ever been. Right. Because you carry all of those experiences with you and those, they've shaped you. So sometimes you might feel like, 
I'm like, how old did you feel at the end of that movie? Yeah. You know? Like, I felt like the, like, 12-year-old in me had just gotten this, like, huge hug. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, eighth grade. Yeah. Eighth grade Annie. <laughs> oh, that was a rough time. But. <laughs> oh, God. Looking back, right? Uh, but, I mean, you know, it takes you back to that period in time where you really needed to hear what he had to say. Yes. And, I mean, all of us need to hear what. He has to say. Yeah. Not just kids. No. Everyone. Everyone does. And so now I'm I'm like a total <laughs> evangelist for Mr. Rogers. I'm like, I want to go back and watch the episodes. Yes. I want to watch if there's any way to access that content that he did create for adults, like in what, maybe oh. the 90s or something. <laughs> yes. But they were like, yeah, it kind of fell flat. Because adults are too fucking busy and they like are. caught up in our shit to like... <sighs> I don't know. Maybe we'd be more receptive now. Maybe. There was, um, my husband pointed out, he's like, yeah, remember that point in the movie where he's just like, and breathe in and breathe out. That like, was, that was when they were talking yeah. about how he would just like build in times of silence to the, the turtle show. crawling across the floor. Or like set the egg timer for a minute. And I'm going to show you how long a minute is. Yes. And I mean, and you just watch. Right. Because you're fascinated. And obviously like, mindfulness and meditation were a thing back then right but not nearly as much in the mainstream as they are now no so pretty awesome it's amazing <laughs> so i guess i want <clears throat> to close with um funny enough even though the podcast is called this i i didn't decide until the other day that i was like i'm gonna start asking this question at the end of every interview so since I didn't prep you at all, you just get to wing it. Yes, this is um, what I succeed at. <laughs> yes. So Annie, what's the fucking point? What's the fucking point of Mr. Rogers of this entire thing? Both. Both. Um, the point of Mr. Rogers and or why everyone should run, run to the Belcourt and go see this movie. Or wherever you movie theater in your city. Oh yeah, that's right. Belcourt if you're in Nashville. Um, your local art house theater, um, pay the money, go watch it, is I think now more than ever, we're at a point where we just need to be reminded that we're an entire bowl of ice cream on ourselves. Like, we are worthy. Like, there is inherent worth. And no, it doesn't make us entitled millennials for saying that. It's that we recognize that you know, we're all people, we're all doing this thing and we're all moving through life the best way we know how and the best service that we can do for each other is to recognize that and help each other along the way. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So I feel like that ties in really well to this quote that I want to end with, um, Fred Rogers. We live in a world in which we need to share responsibility it's easy to say, it's not my child, not my community, not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people my heroes. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So if people want to like see what kind of cool stuff that you're doing and posting and up to, and <laughs> if they're local, want to take yoga with you, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at Annie Diomedes. Diabetes. What the fuck? Yeah, right. <laughs> Diabetes. Um, it's like diabetes with an M. Um, it's D I O M E D E S. Um, and that's my name on Facebook. I teach in town at Interlight Yoga, at Donaldson Hot Yoga, and with Small World Yoga. And um, 
I teach piano lessons. Always running around. Awesome. Doing the cool things. Woo! Thank you so much for coming on and having this super random and amazing conversation. Oh, it was so fantastic. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find past episodes and show notes at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. We'll take you to the place to find all of that good stuff if you're looking for links or resources or anything else related to the show. Also, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, it helps more people find out about the show. That's bit.ly slash WTFP review. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking those big questions.